listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So Mick, uh, earlier this summer, we talked about your innovation plots and, and had a good visit about the different products that you were trying and, and talked a little bit about uh, you know, the things that we look at on a soil fertility side and, and uh, trying to push yield in, in our plots so our growers can see the things that work and the things that don't work so well. Let's talk a little bit about what the results were. Absolutely, Tim, but we, we haven't talked at all this summer because this summer isn't here. So uh, it was last summer, technically, that we talked about that. So just yeah. so everybody's straight, Tim gets a little confused once in a while. Uh, you think you think about the fertility trials, and and the one thing I want to bring out is our results are online at, at cvacoop.com. Uh, under the agronomy tab, you can take a look at them yourself. But our fertility, our base fertility at those sites, at, uh, we we did it at four different locations: Cuba, Kansas, Polk, Nebraska, and Norfolk, Nebraska and Northeast Community College there in Norfolk. Other than Polk, we were a low of 39 parts per million Bray P1. Uh, Polk was 15 parts per million Bray P1. However, before we ever got possession of that field, or actually the day that we were planting that field, they applied 100 pounds of MAP on top of it uh, that had already been planned prior to to us signing the contract on that location. So really had a lot of fertility out there for the plants. Uh, zinc levels were 1 1.4, 1 1.7, 3.1 there in Norfolk. So uh, fairly high zinc levels uh, in those soils also. And you wouldn't, wouldn't expect to see a lot of response from added phosphorus fertilizer or even some of the micronutrients that, that we applied. Yeah, you know, we get a lot of conversations from, from growers and, and uh, consultants and talking about things like manganese and boron, but there's a reason why I always try to go back to start with good old fashioned things like nitrogen and phosphorus, even though, you know, we get accused of just selling NP and K, we continue to see response to those products, even in high fertility environments. You don't get those right. It's almost like you're wasting a little time just focusing on something like manganese and boron. And not that those aren't important nutrients and not that we don't get response to them, but I really do like, uh, you know, at least getting some fertility out there. And I think soluble fertilizer nutrients are different in the nutrients we see just in the soil test. I, I would agree, Tim. And, uh, you know, the one thing is, is, is you and I have had this discussion several times, uh, probably more than most normal people would have, but we got to think about when these correlation calibration equations were made 50 years, 50, 60 years ago before my time, not yours, because you're old, but wow. <laughs> they were they were made a long time ago, and the whole cropping system was different. Yields were different. Uh, populations were different. Hybrids were definitely different. So things have changed quite a bit, 
and these aren't easy trials to to conduct. I've worked in some with some correlation calibration in the past, and they're very labor intensive. They're very expensive to do, and uh, they take a lot of replications to to make a decent curve out of them. So. Uh, it's not something that the universities are real willing to go back and redo. It's a balancing act. You know, we have that good university data where they went out to a lot of locations and did the base correlation calibration work. And without that work, a lot of the recommendations we make would just be completely made up. But we balance that solid, confident university recommendation based off correlation calibration with what we see when we see high yield growers, right? You know, there's a lot of those guys that are putting on phosphorus even at 100 part per million. They're putting on nitrogen, you know, over three, 400 pounds per acre. Now, those things have environmental impacts as well. So we need to be careful, but putting on a quarter of crop removal at a high soil test level, I don't have much problem with that because I know I'm still mining the soil. You know, uh, I, I like to replace what I'm removing uh, as we get into higher soil test levels, uh, I don't want to replace that whole thing because I want to maybe bring that level down a little bit. So, especially with phosphorus, if I get over 50 to 75 part per million, I don't need to be that high. And then I, I don't want to replace 100% of crop removal, but I want to replace some because I don't want to drag it completely down. Right. It depends on your yield levels too. If your growers, you know, <clears throat> for whatever reason, maybe, you know, he's got drainage as a limiting factor. He's got, you know, it's, it's dry land crop, crop, that's the limiting factor. Then maybe, you know, a little phosphorus in the starter and that's good enough. You know, you don't need to, to apply a dry spread, but for us and, and our yield levels and, and the plots that you chose and managed, it, we found that it was completely appropriate to be adding that additional phosphorus, even in one dry land environment that a lot of guys would say, well, you don't need additional phosphorus there. You know, uh, you get into dry land environments and it's tricky. What What's the year going to bring? If we had the crystal ball, both you and I'd be sitting on a beach somewhere and, and telling people how to do things from there, but we don't. So we don't know whether we're going to get rainfall or not ahead of the season when we need to apply these dry products. So we just use a, a term that I call swag, scientific guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know what those other letters are for. Everybody can use their imagination a little bit and figure it out, but uh, we do a little swag and we and we put that out there and we hope that we get enough moisture to have a decent crop. If not, we'll, we're fortunate that a lot of those nutrients will stay in the soil, uh, nitrogen being a little different than, than the rest of them. Nitrogen and sulfur will move out of that profile, but... Uh, the rest of them will stay in, stay in that soil and we can utilize them the following year. Yep. Let's get a little specific. What, what kind of yield results did you have to additional phosphorus fertility or dry fertility in your plots from last year? It seemed like you had, oh, easily um, five to 10 bushel corn response and uh, two to seven bushel bean response with a lot of these products. Let's, let's talk specifics a little bit. So to get a little more specific, what we did is, is tried to level the playing field a little bit. We were testing a lot of micronutrients um, and we were testing uh, sulfur, uh, SO4 product from, 
from calcium products. So we wanted to put out the same amount of NNP in every treatment. So we blended up a 1331 blend. So we put on 13 pounds of nitrogen and 31 pounds of phosphorus. <clears throat> and beyond that, we didn't balance nutrients based off of the types of products that we were using, except for the one case when we tested the this SO4 product, we matched up the 13, per, 13 pounds of N, the 31 pounds of P, and then we also did the seven, seven pounds of, of sulfur so that we were all comparing that apples to apples and not apples to oranges. Right. Uh, the neat thing when we put out just MAP by itself, so 11.52O uh, with a little urea to give us a 13 13 pounds of N and 31 pounds of P, we got 9.3 bushels on average across our innovation sites. Uh, and I, as I said, those are, those are high P environments. That was quite the surprise to see that kind of data in, increase or yield increase from that additional phosphate. Yeah, and you look at our micro essentials SZ, and, and you know, we've had good luck with that product in the past. We like it a little bit better than MAP, especially in these high fertility environments. You know, if you're not trying to build a soil test level from, say, 10 part per million to 25 part per million, sometimes MAP makes a little more sense because of its higher analysis. But we had great luck with that MESZ product, didn't we? The micro essentials SZ product gave us 15 bushel per acre increase. So we not only had that 9.3 for MAP, but now we got 15 when we, when we added the sulfur and zinc in a co-granulated prill. And, and so another product that did very well for us was, was the corn mix LS. Uh, this is a micronutrient pellet that is a uniform prill uh, that provides nutrients some of those micronutrients to the plant uh, gave us 9.4 bushel to the acre. <clears throat> and again, these rates of application were low. I mean, you talk about that 13 pounds of nitrogen and 31 pounds of phosphorus. I mean, we're talking less than half a crop removal on a lot of these plots. Exactly. Barely yeah, we, amounts. We tested a, a Terra new micro pack that, that gave us 11.2 bushel. Um, Microsync Pro was a, another micronutrient pack that gave us 13 bushel. The SO4 product gave us 12 bushel, and that one doesn't surprise me. Uh, you think about the year of 2019 and all the moisture that we had, we washed a lot of sulfur out of that profile. <clears throat> and to get that 12 bushel increase by having an, an extra 17 pounds of sulfur, or excuse me, extra seven pounds of sulfur there available for the plant in the root, in the root profile. Uh, it definitely was a lot better than the, than the blank strip check. <clears throat> yeah. And you know, and these were across three completely different environments. So these are the averages across three environments. Now that Norfolk environment, you average probably about 250 to 260 bushel corn irrigated environment, um, not a great growing season. Gosh, you really got wet there and it was a challenging plot. <clears throat> Go ahead. You know, the, the pulp plot, you know, another different environment. 
that Polk site, uh, actually it, it was a 200 to 220 yield environment. Uh, both you and I thought that we had a better, better yield environment in August, early August than we ended up with. Uh, some, a single storm kind of changed that event for us, but uh, those, those numbers were in that 200 to 220 uh, across that site. <clears throat> Yeah, it was uh, that corn was pretty flat, Mick. I think you probably had a little bit that uh, got left on the ground, but I think we left a lot on the ground. You know, you look at the Cuba, Kansas site. That's 150, 160 bushel yield environment there. Uh, our Norfolk, our Northeast Community College site there at Norfolk. You know, that's a that's a 200 bushel yield environment where we had those trials on the on the. Uh, on the fertility blocks, at least. But in all these different environments, we saw a pretty consistent response to all of these fertilizer mixes that you put together. And frankly, they were really pretty good sized responses when you're talking from nine to 15 bushels on corn. Um, you know, not that we didn't have some plots that would be a little lower, but we also had some plots that were a lot higher. These are truly the averages across multiple replications, across multiple plots and multiple yield environments. Absolutely. I, you know, I was very comfortable with the data, you know, uh, I think, I think it was you at one point in time when I first started going through that data that said, gosh, those are, are large increases in yield. And are you sure your data is correct? And so the one thing I did is I pulled up our 2018 data where we did the same trial and started comparing and uh, you know, our map in 2018 was 7.9 bushel versus a 9.3. So now we're getting multiple years of this, this same or consistent results. Our MESZ product was 15.6 bushel in 2018 and 15 in 20 in 2019. Uh, repeatability of these of these trials is pretty doggone good. Yeah, when we think about that Kansas yield environment, dry land, 150 bushel of corn, you know, it was a wetter year down there in northern Kansas, but it's still, there were spells that were dry and were a challenge for our crop. It seems like good fertility just helps a plant uh, handle that drought a little bit better, a little bit better root system, a little more access to water. I've seen it both in, in tough years and in good years. Seems like you know having your fertility program right does make a pretty big difference. You know, um, our hopes were for for that Cuba, Kansas site to be a little bit better, but once again, Mother Nature was was in charge there, and uh, we had a windstorm with some hail in it come in there, and, and it probably took a little bit off the top end, probably fifteen twenty bushel. I would is my guess. If you were to have a, a takeaway uh, on these dry fertilizer products from the last couple of years, Mick, what would that biggest takeaway be for a grower? To me, the biggest takeaway is, uh, you know, when when we're asking a grower to, to put a little more, more fertility down, uh, there's a lot of return on investment that can be made from putting extra fertilizer down. Uh, even if we have a higher phosphorus environment, the reason we're putting it down is is to get that plant available phosphate into the plant during that growing season. 
And Mick, one thing, you know, we, we've been talking a little bit on some of our episodes about the, the 25th year anniversary of our advanced cropping systems. You do a good job of grid sampling these fields, knowing the fertility levels. Now, of course, these are smaller plots, so we put uh, flat rates in the plot, but we both understand the need to understand what your fertility is. Here in these cases, with these high fertility fields, we're applying less than half a crop removal. But as you go across the field, that you know, a typical field is going to have a lot of areas that could use quite a bit more, including your bulk plots this year. And even though you know you had 100 pounds of MAP that got applied before you got a hold of the plots, that's again maybe a little more than half a crop removal of uh, 250 bushel of corn, or probably right about half a crop removal for 200 bushel or 250 bushel of corn. Those those uh, numbers are not; these are not big applications. I know a lot of times we get accused of just selling fertilizer. These are small applications, frankly. Honestly, they are small applications. Uh, we're not. We're not giving, we're not spending a, a lot of extra money and then we're getting a nice return on our investment there. Well, I suppose it's about time for a funny farm story. So uh, I'll throw one out there. We, uh, we had a family birthday party here not too long ago and we we're just kind of, you know, how those get. We start talking about old stories and a, and a funny one came up. Um, this would have been probably back in about, 2011-ish, we had a tornado go through my wife's family farm and uh, took out one shed, took down some trees, um, had a, quite a bit of damage, just a lot of stuff strewn out all over the place. Neighbors were the same way. It went through, lost some crop out of it. But uh, I get a call at about, oh gosh, four o'clock in the morning because um, the tornado had gone through about one in the morning and, you know, of course, everybody taking shelter and they'd come back out and, and kind of see the damage as well as they could. And they're, you know, calling up the work crew. And I had access to a tractor with a grapple loader on it and, and some chainsaws. So, you know, my brother-in-law asked if, you know, once it got light out, if I could come and, and help with cleanup. And I said, sure. And uh, my other brother-in-law lives not too far from me. So that was the next phone call. And he's, he's talking to my sister-in-law and says, you know, hey, uh, you know, there's been a tornado out in the farm and uh, we're gonna do a cleanup tomorrow. You know, would you be you guys be able to come out and help? And here's what time we think we're gonna start and, and here's kind of what I need. Um, here's the group I think will be there, you know, and would you be willing to help, you know, with, with food and everything. And having this conversation with my sister-in-law, it probably goes on for like five minutes. And then she just pauses and says, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> well it's just this random person calling you to tell you that there's been a tornado out at the farm you know, you don't know them but yeah <laughs> we've given her a hard time ever since then about just not quite being awake at four o'clock in the morning for conversations like that <laughs> tim i thought you were going to tell us something about you driving this trap tractor with the grapple fork and a mishap with it no there were a, a few mishaps but uh but it was interesting the worst problem i ran into that day is I had left my cell phone in my car when I stopped at my dad's place to grab the tractor with the with the grapple fork and just took off with it. Well, a neighbor, unfortunately, and and, and fortunately he he's he's fine now and everything worked out okay. But uh, he was actually crushed by a tree on his tractor. Came over the loader, um, crushed him, and the ambulance came out. And I know you're a you're a first responder, Mick. So you know that's a confusing time. And, and they actually called Life Flight out because it was it was pretty bad, and they they needed to get him to proper care right away. Um, I 
drove over there to see if they needed help getting the, the tree off them, but they already had it taken care of and there. The ambulance was there waiting for life flight, clearing a path. My wife uh, was at a softball tournament with my daughter and on the radio comes the news that a life flight helicopter is headed to Walnut, Iowa because someone was injured doing tornado cleanup. And she immediately thinks of me and starts calling my cell phone because she knows I'm liable to be in something. Like that. <laughs> Can't you are accident prone. Yeah, she was mad. <laughs> so anyway, back to soil fertility. <clears throat> so Mick, as I think through your your uh, plots this year, you know, great response, and and uh, we had some you know kind of what we expect and what we sell based off of. But what are you what are you looking at for next year? So, you know, you and I have discussed this and, and kind of came up with a plan. We want to we want to keep testing the same things in the same spots. And uh, you talked about us knowing and grid sampling. Well, we went above and beyond grid sampling. Uh, everything that I test is, is in eight rows. Uh, each block is about 250 feet long. So we have went through over the winter and, and pulled samples every eight rows across those eight rows, 250 feet long. And we've actually sent those in for analysis. And so we'll be able to watch those soils, see if we're actually building some nutrients in the long term. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be testing the same products this year, uh, doing that, and then come back and soil test again next year and and watch that change happen over time. The neat thing is, is our our trial locations are set up and they're rotated corn bean corn beans. So we'll just keep the beans and ones in the same spot as the corn, and and we'll see what we can learn from that. Um, we've seen in, in our geographies a, a buildup of, of zinc by using the Micro Essentials SC product. Uh, we're going to start looking at just a, another product just with sulfur uh, this year and, and see what that, would what that will look like for us for the future. Um, because why apply zinc if we're getting high levels of zinc out there? Um, maybe... Uh, help the return on the investment for the grower. Yeah. You know, I'm a firm believer in long-term fertility versus uh, fertilizer application. Now, like we're doing here, soluble fertilizers are different than what shows up in the lab report. But year after year after year, if you build soil fertility to a good level and keep it there with some, you know, some applications that might be crop removal or a percent of crop removal, generally seems to work out really well for that grower as far as their yields go and I, i'm glad that you're doing that because so many trials it seems like they they'll do a one-year trial of a product in a place and then there's no follow-up on what happened in that exact same place next year yeah uh, you know it was funny you and i were in uh, in a meeting with with a gentleman that i'd went to grad school with a few weeks ago and uh, when i went through that idea of of let's go back to those same spots year after year. He says, gosh, he goes, we've all missed that for a hundred years of research that nobody wants to go back to the same spot. They just roll around and go to a different spot. So uh, somebody else in this industry is excited about it along with us. So 
we'll see what happens there. Yeah. By far, the majority of our growers go back to the same fields year after year after year with a fertility program. And that's what we want to show here. It's, it's about the long term. It's not about the short term. You know, the only ones that don't go back, they've, they've sold that piece of land to somebody else or they took your advice and, and they had a problem piece of ground and they sold it to somebody that didn't know about that problem. <laughs> Not a bad piece of advice when you can't figure out what the problem is or how to fix it. It's an easy, easy fix, Tim. <laughs> well, Mick, you got anything else to cover? I think we've covered it. Uh, you know, we can, we could talk a little bit about the, about the soybean fertility. Uh, I guess we did, we kind of skimmed over that sure. real quickly in the introduction, you know, our largest increases came from the micronutrients and I haven't really figured out soybeans yet. I'm never going to sit in front of somebody till I figured out and say, Hey, I'm an expert on soybean. Uh, it, it's a lot easier for you and I to walk onto a farm and help a grower increase yields on corn and consistently than they are than we can with soybeans, unfortunately. Uh, but it makes sense that our our data came our best data came from those micronutrient packs. Those soybeans like those micronutrients and seem to utilize them. You think about the corn mix LS; uh, it averaged 5.2 bushel. The Terranum micro pack was 5.8 and the micro sync was 5.6. I mean, really very similar results in those. Uh, you look at the map in the MES, they were exactly the same with 2.9 bushel increase. Um, we just didn't have enough of the micronutrients in those packages to help those soybeans out. We still increased yield with fertility, but we did not increase it as much as we did when we added those micronutrients. Yeah, and you know, when you talk about micronutrients and what you're applying, you're not applying really large rates, but the plants really don't need a lot of things like zinc or manganese or boron on any given year. So I like the fact that we're going back into these same plots because I think there will be multi-year effect, especially with these micronutrients. And I, and I would expect those multi-year responses to even be bigger in soybeans than corn, potentially. Yeah, soybeans seem to like old fertility. Yes, they do. Well, Mick, for our listeners who, you know, maybe uh, weren't able to make your innovation plots or maybe they're outside, uh, you know, our, our trade territory, so this isn't something that uh, they're able to see easily, where can they find this information? The, all of our data from, from 2019, it is on our, on our website at cvacoop.com, and it's underneath the agronomy tab. There's a... a nice little booklet that we put together there that they're fit that's available to browse through or print off yep so basically just go to the agronomy tab scroll down and eventually you're going to come to the innovation area and there'll be a a nice pdf or flip book that they can uh they can either print off or they can just view on on their own to save a few trees but yeah we don't hide the information and and you know then, then they can drill down too you know maybe if you're around norfolk or if you're around york maybe you want to Focus more on the Norfolk plot if you're around Norfolk and more around the, the Polk plot if you're more in that York area and, and see results that might uh, might match up with the soil in your area. But again, with that Polk plot, you got to remember that windstorm they hit there. It kind of yeah. those yields pretty good. It sure did, Tim. And if you're in a dry land environment, those Cuba, Kansas plots, that was, that was a rain-fed environment and, and you know, they, 
they have uh, tough years down there occasionally. And this year it was a good solid year, 150 bushel corn. But uh, you know, if you're uh, from you know far eastern Nebraska and are used to 220, well, that, that's why there's a difference, and that's why we move those plots around because everybody's not the same. All right. Well, Mick, thanks again for the information and hopefully our listeners uh, find some value in it. So with Mick Godekin, our innovation research manager, I'm Tim Mundorf, our nutrient management lead from Central Valley Ag. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for joining us on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CBA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cbacoop.com and you can see our agronomy focus blog series every other Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Mick Godekin and Tim Mundorf.